Well, I want to add a specific thanks to the worship team. It's just very important to come together and hear the Lord exalted. It just lifts you. Just to hear the Lord exalted. Just to hear His name glorified. You know, they do a lot of that in heaven. And we're going to do a lot of it. And it changes you. Um, Jesus said, the word that I speak to you is spirit and life. Well, how is that possible? I don't know how it's possible, but it's true. And when you glorify the Lord, you draw close to Him. It says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a glance, the glory of the Lord are being changed into the same image, even from glory unto glory into the same image. As we behold His glory, as we worship Him, it changes us. It changes me every Sunday. Uh, I remember being in one retreat a few years ago and coming out just saying, My gosh, I feel clean. Um, Helen and I exchange stories about the heat of the summer and she'll tell me about what made her sweat and feel yucky and I'll tell her about what made me sweat and feel yucky but you get in a shower and you clean everything off you just walk out and you go oh boy that's refreshing every pore has been washed out and that's what the Word of God does that's what worship does that's what beholding Jesus does it just washes clean every other thing well this morning I wanted to <clears throat> step back and first, just take a kind of a perspective moment in all the stuff that's going on here. Uh, I personally do not like the COVID epidemic pandemic, and I'm really ready for it to be over like a year ago. And I want to re-echo, I want to echo what Pastor Miguel said and just say thanks to everybody who's persevering to keep this church working well. It's a real testimony to the fellowship here, but also to the strength that God gives us and also to people's faithfulness to know as you give and contribute, the Lord gives and contributes to you. There's no way to outgive Him. But in the big picture, God saw the COVID pandemic before creation. God knows things that are coming. He knew the issues that would be involved. And one of the things that we take great, um, that we take great uh, comfort in is our God knows all things and not only knows all things, but is over all things, so He controls all things. So when we look back in history and we say, Lord, when your big plan, you know that there was going to be a creation of man. You knew that man would fall. You knew that there would be a need for Christ to come and redeem people from their sins. And that after that, you knew that Jesus would make way that the Holy Spirit would come to change us on the inside so that we would gradually grow into the image of Christ. And that growth was a very important thing, and you knew it. there would be a final time that Jesus came back, and that Jesus took us to be with Him, and then we will know even as we are known. And we will see the glory of the Father and the glory of the Son, and we will live in a new creation that will go on forever and does not end. This current creation is just for a short time. It seems like a long time to us. But most of us are passing through in 80, 90, or maybe 97 years or something like that. That's a short time. But there's going to be a time where time never ends. And in that time, in that second creation, the Bible says there's no evil. Satan is cast down. There's no hurt. There's no hospital. There's no waiting in doctor's offices. There's no sitting in traffic on 285. None of those things in this new creation and that the joy is unspeakable. Now, I've had a few times in my life joy was fairly unspeakable. 
I can remember walking out of high school, finishing the last exam, recognizing I had graduated and thinking, I don't ever have to go back to high school. This is really cool. Now that was good. That's not joy unspeakable. I remember getting out of college just the same way. I remember uh, getting my PhD and passing my oral exam and walking out of there and those people telling me I had passed and I thought, oh my gosh, I'm done, it worked. I think Miguel had that experience just recently as well. There's a lot of joy attached to that. When I saw my first child, there was just unbelievable what Helen had done. She had produced a son and it wasn't easy. And she had come up with a son and it just sent things through me I'd never experienced before. But that wasn't joy unspeakable, it was big joy. But we're headed to joy unspeakable, things we can't describe. Paul put it this way. He said, the eye's not seen, the ear's not heard. It hasn't even entered into the heart of man, the very thing that God has prepared for them that love him. And he said that he had participated and seen that, and he was caught between the two, whether to stay here for the benefit of others or to go on and be with the Lord. Now, I hate to tell you this, but if I got that offer where I could go on and be with the Lord rather than stay here, I'm not dead sure I'd be here next Sunday. I'm afraid I would take off. But Paul stayed, but he saw it. He knew of what he was talking about. And he said, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed. Not worthy to be compared. So we have this tremendous hope. We have this tremendous hope that whatever we're going through, it's for a short time. Even if it seems like a long time, it's for a short time. And we will look back and the remembrance of everything grievous to us will be gone. And, when the, and we'll know the Lord fully. So that's the big perspective of what's going on. Now, I'm always amused when you fly into Atlanta at night. You look down and you go, my gosh, there's the whole city and there are all the lights. And you come down in the plane to a certain height and you start seeing cars and they have their headlights on, and they look like just little bugs down there. As a matter of fact, you don't see the car at all. You just see the headlights. And as you come on down and you're looking at it, you see, and then you get lower and lower and lower, and the cars kind of get bigger and bigger. But your perspective is everything, because when you're on the ground, a car is a car. But when you're up there, a car might, might even be visible. It's just maybe this tiny dot, tiny dot. Well, the Lord can see from all this perspective, and He's making room for us for all eternity. But it's very important we get aligned with what he's doing. And Jesus talked about this over and over and over. He said that our focus was continuously on the circumstances and on how our circumstances in our life needed to be changed. But he said your focus really needs to be to seek first the kingdom of God and all the details about your circumstances will be taken care of. Now, we have read that verse and heard that verse since Bible school. But it doesn't say to seek the kingdom of God. It says to seek first the kingdom of God. And that means to put Jesus in front of every single other thing that we do. That Jesus owns our money. He owns our time. He owns our career. He owns our children. He owns our car. He owns everything. Everything is in his hands. And when we keep things from his hands, it's exactly like the vine that we described in the children's moment. Anything that's cut away from being rooted in Jesus dies and produces death. So in Colossians, he says, root everything in your life in Christ Jesus. Root it down into Christ Jesus. And I want to talk just briefly this morning about a couple of things that the enemy has done and does 
to try to keep things that are important in our lives from being rooted in Christ. And I want to pick the first one around the COVID epidemic because this is a, excuse me, is a big deal. We tend to say if circumstances are under reasonable control, then I'm okay. But if circumstances include things, um, you know, uh, like Kristen was sharing, they include uncertainties that are beyond our control. That's what makes us anxious and agitated. And when we cry out to the Lord, usually what we want to get from the Lord is, Lord, give me your plan for how you're going to fix this. And then I will take comfort in the fact that you have a good plan, that I know it, and I can see how all this is going to turn out. But I don't know how much you notice this, but God rarely acts that way. And when Moses was called by God to go speak to the Pharaoh, God called Moses and said, well, now you need to go tell the Pharaoh this and this. And Moses came back and said, I don't think you understand, God. I'm not a speaker. This is beyond my talent to do what you're asking. And what was God's response? Well, somebody might say, well, we'll send Moses to the Dale Carnegie Speaking Academy for six months, boost his talents and ability, give him self-assurance, and then he can walk into this situation and will do well. But God, miraculously enough, did not recommend Dale Carnegie's Speaking Academy, but said, don't worry, I will be with you. And Moses complained again because that wasn't enough. Now that was distressing to God because to God the whole issue is, am I with you? That is the issue. Because then God can do anything in any way to address anything. Unfortunately, our issue often is, I'm fine for you to be with me, but I do need a description of your actions in the next 48 hours to resolve these critical issues in my life. And that's the way that we treat God. Now, if we treat God that way, we are bringing God underneath our understanding. And we're saying, if I understand and can control what's going to happen, I feel comfortable. But if I don't understand it, then I'm not going to feel comfortable. And God will continue to put us into situations that are beyond our control so that we can see He wants us to trust Him when we have no idea what the solution is. Now, I've talked to many of you in this room about things in your lives, and you have great testimonies of how God did something that you didn't see coming at all, and it was gigantically important to your life and future. And God just took care of it. God does that regularly. And when he spoke to Moses, he wanted Moses to know, because I'm there, you should relax because your trust is in me, rather than your trust being in your knowledge and your control. Now, many Christians go around saying, oh yeah, I trust Jesus. And what they mean is, when I die, I'm not going to go to hell because Jesus' blood paid the price and I'm going to go to heaven. But when it comes, and that's true, and you need to trust Jesus in that case. But when it comes to daily life and we pray, often our prayers start out with, Lord, let me give you this prioritized list of needs of things going wrong in my family and associates, in my country and in this world. 
And I want you to be sure to pay due attention to fixing these things because in case you've missed it, these needs are important. And we pray to God like he's like an email. And we package it all up and then send it off to him and then kind of wait to see what happens. <coughs> and you get a cough. No, and wait to see what happens. But God, and, and, and when Jesus was teaching us to pray, he knew we prayed that way. So what did Jesus say right before he taught us to pray? He says, before I tell you how to pray, let me tell you this. Before you pray, God already knows what you need. That's what Jesus said. And why did he say that? Because that's how we pray. Lord, I need to talk to you. My daughter is running away with a guy who has no head on his shoulders. It's going to ruin his life, her life. You've got to step in and do something. My situation is dire with this, this, and this, and this. God knows already what we need. And Jesus said that when we pray, we should start praying by worshiping God. We should say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are majestic, wonderful, holy, and good above all other things. And in Psalms it says when you want to enter into His presence, you do not enter into His presence by having an Excel spreadsheet itemized with needs. But you enter into His presence with praise, thanksgiving, and blessing His name. Blessing His name. Remember with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were being thrown into the fiery furnace? You know, the, the, the message of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was, if he slays me, still will I trust him. God is trustable beyond the limits of our knowledge. He is trustable beyond our rational assessment of best approaches to problems. When Moses was trapped at the edge of the Red Sea, a tremendous amount had already happened where God had done 10 fantastic miracles that were the plagues of Egypt. The children of Israel had been able to see the strong arm of the Lord, the scripture says, 10 different times. Bang, 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 bang. And furthermore, when the Pharaoh let them go, God turned the hearts of the Egyptians so that they took all their silver and gold and gave it to the Israelites and said, take it and get out of here. So the Israelites had as much silver and gold as they could carry. And they walked out, and the first thing they were liable to run into was the Philistines, but God maneuvered them around so they didn't hit the Philistines so they wouldn't have to have a fight. And they came to the edge of the Red Sea, and behind them were the chariots of the Pharaoh who had come out to cut them up. And in front of them was the Red Sea. And so what did the children of Israel do at that point? Well, one option would be for them to say, it's a good thing God built our faith, showing 10 miraculous things that completely defy our ability, so that now we know that we're in a tough situation, He's with us, and we can relax and trust Him. They could have said that. They didn't. Instead, what they did is they went to Moses and said, You are a lousy person because you have brought us out here to die. 
because we have the sea to drown in or to be cut up by the swords of the Pharaoh behind us. Now, they had just had tremendous things to build up their faith, but they chose to blame somebody. And that's what we do in life, because there's a spirit that Satan sends into the world that is a critical, condemning spirit. And the Bible says that of Satan, that Satan in his nature and what he does is to condemn believers, that he is the accuser of the brethren. He stands before God and says, Margie Morgan is a lousy person. She does these bad things. He is the accuser of the brethren. And he brings a critical, accusing spirit into the world and tries to get that into everybody, and including believers. So much so that our natural tendency is to say when we have something bad, we want to look for a person or a group of people and say, they are the reason this is bad. And then we want to gather other people around us and say, won't you agree with me that that group of people are the bad ones and everything happening in this particular arena is because they didn't do their job or because they're evil, mean, wicked, or bad and nasty people. And then we all talk among ourselves and say, yes, bad, 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 bad group. And by the way, I discovered another bad group yesterday over here. Let me tell you about them. And we can say bad things about them. And that's a spirit of criticism and condemnation that the enemy sends into the world. But what did Jesus do? Jesus came in and said just the opposite. I want you to take the people that are your enemies, the people who persecute you, and I want you to bless them, and I want you to pray for them. And often we go, yes, 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 but you really need to know how bad these people are. And they've done another bad thing since yesterday. And we are like the disciple that goes to Jesus and says, how many times do I need to forgive my brother? Seven times? And Jesus says, 70 times seven. So what Jesus is looking to do in the church today is to really counter this spirit of criticism and condemnation and for us to take on the nature of Christ as people who bless our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Now, if somebody is persecuting you, they are wrong. This doesn't say they're right, they're wrong. But Jesus said, for the person doing the wrong thing, I want you to lift them up and pray for them. Because that's what he did for us. Romans 5, 8 said, for while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were spitting in his face, he gave himself for us. It says in Philippians 3, he emptied himself and came down as a suffering servant for our sins. So he's asking us, open yourself to the Holy Spirit and don't do that. But instead, pray for these people. Well, you might say that's going to ruin a whole lot of good conversations because we have lots of talks about how bad other people are. Yes, it will ruin those conversations. But if we have something in our life that the Holy Spirit has revealed to us he wants to change and we don't open up to him to change it, it grieves the Holy Spirit. It grieves the Holy Spirit. And it is a block between us and God. 
You know, in that same chapter in John 15, where it talks about abiding in the vine, and we're very clear that if we have some part of our body, uh, some part of our life, like condemning and blaming other people, that we don't let abide in the vine, and we're clear that it produces death, but we just let it hang around, it's just like letting death hang around us. So if I went over to Tiffany's house, I've never been to Tiffany's house, but let's just say I went to Tiffany's house and she was throwing some sort of a birthday party or something and I just thought it was nice of her to do it and I brought her a little present and I got her a really fancy wrapped box. And it was a Neiman Marcus box. You know, I've never been in Neiman Marcus, but it's over my head in price. But I had a Neiman Marcus box with really good wrapping. And I gave it to Tiffany. I said, just sometime you might want to open this in the next few days, just a little gift. Tiffany waited a few days and said, okay, everything's settled down. I'm going to open this gift that Jim gave me. And oh boy, it looks good too because it's in a Neiman Marcus box. And it's all wrapped really nice. And she opened it up. And inside of the box was a dead rat being eaten up by microorganisms that smelled to high heaven. That is not pleasant in anybody's book. Now, what would you think of Tiffany if she said, look at this dead rat. What an unusual thing. None of my friends display dead rats. I'm going to put this dead rat on my kitchen counter so when everybody comes in, they can smell the stink and see the putrid dead rat on my counter. Well, we would take Tiffany to the side. This is just a joke, Tiffany. But we would take Tiffany to the side and say, there's a couple of tumblers that have fallen out of whack in your brain, and we just want to adjust them a little bit. We'll start by taking rid of that dead rat and throwing it away. Because that dead rat not only ruins your kitchen, it ruins your whole house. So we would be ardent about removing death and putridity and something horrible like that in our natural life. That is how the Holy Spirit sees sin. Jesus said, whoever commits sin is the slave of sin. We don't believe that because in our actions, we let sin abide in us. Now, this is a hard thing for me. I, I'm in different places and I see mistakes a lot of other people make. I have a, a, a little statement that we make in where I work that says, um, and Eleanor, you'll probably grab this one quickly. Lack of planning on your part does not justify an emergency on my part. And that happens all the time. People are supposed to do something promptly, but instead of doing it in two days like they're supposed to, they delay for three weeks and then it arrives on your desk and it's due out in six hours. And you were supposed to have five days to do the work. Lack of planning on your part doesn't justify an emergency on my part. What can I do about that person? Well, my innate tendency, I'm ashamed to say, is to go grab one of my coworkers and say, look at this. This sat over in X place for this long, and now they want me to drop everything I'm doing and make this happen. And do you know something? It's the sixth time it's happened this month. What good does that conversation do? That just gets that other person to go, oh man, me too. I get the same thing from them. Those are bad people. They are inconsiderate. They're this, that, and the other. And inconsiderate is not nice, but there are really bad people in this world. 
There are people in this world that are trying to take us down that are evil people, and we need to be praying for them, people who persecute us. Jesus prayed for people who were stabbing him on the cross, who nailed him to the cross, and he wants us to pray. And he doesn't want us to say, I want to have a conversation with my wife and tell her all the bad details and then pray for them. No, don't tell anybody the details. Go to your father who can change the situation and pray for them. And we don't believe prayer really changes the situation, but it does. And prayer is an incense to God. The effectual fervent uh, prayer of a righteous person availeth much. It is very powerful, and that's why the enemy pushes us so much not to pray. So God is asking us to open tremendous forgiveness in our hearts so the Holy Spirit can teach us how to forgive and pray for people rather than talk about and condemn people. It's a huge change. As a matter of fact, if our church in mass changed from talking about and condemning other people to just praying and upholding other people, we would be such a light on the hill that Miguel would have to hold two services because you couldn't fill all, people couldn't stay in all the pews. It would be that much of a light. We would differ so much from the world if we would do that. And yet that's the way Jesus is. And that's the call of the Holy Spirit in every one of our lives. Now, I hate to say this, but it's a lot of fun to condemn other people. It's not fun. It's just something it's enjoyable to do with other people because you're saying this is such a... And it's kind of a misery loves company and their fault. But we just need to stop it and just to get under other people and keep praying for them. Don't pray for them one time, but keep praying for them. Uh, if you have a brother-in-law who's bothered, borrowed $500 from you and pretends like he never did and is never going to pay it back, don't keep telling everybody in the family what a louse he is. Bless those who persecute you. Bless them. Pray for them. This is a big deal to the Holy Spirit and a huge turning point in a Christian's life about whether they're going to be serious about following God or serious about talking to other people and making other people think they're great Christians. Because Jesus said to the Pharisees, how can you please God when you seek the praise of men more than the praise of God? And that's exactly what this is. When we get to heaven, Jesus is not going to have a huge revelation. He's just going to go, did you do what I said? I asked you to bless those who persecuted you. Did you bless those who persecuted you? It isn't that we're missing intellectual revelation. We are missing obedience to what Jesus said to do. And see, in Matthew 6.33, if you obey what Jesus said to do, everything else is going to be taken care of. That's the principle of the kingdom of God. You don't have to worry about everything you're listing in your need statement. All that will be covered. You need to worry about, am I trying to please Jesus more than anybody else? And if I'm not, what is the thing in my life that's not doing that? So unforgiveness is one thing, and it's a big thing. And the second thing, which I already referenced, is exalting knowledge or our understanding higher than Jesus. Exalting our understanding higher than Jesus. Jesus, it's okay for you to act, for you to do, and I'll believe, but I have to understand it. 
If I don't understand it, then I'm anxious and nervous and I can't keep going. And Jesus is saying, I want you to walk in places where you don't have understanding and you will not be successful unless you're trusting in me. And he will bring those things in our lives. It's not an option. He'll bring those things in our lives for it to happen. If we continue to insist that we have an understanding to explain everything, it limits our relationship with God terribly. Imagine that Pastor Miguel got a brand new car, and it was really a good car, cost $75,000 in a BMW, and we'd probably fire him as a pastor. But anyway, he would say he, let's just say he brought that in. He said, it's just one detail. They put a governor on the engine, and it only goes five miles an hour. And we would look at him and go, you got gypped, son. It doesn't matter on the outside and all the details. You only go five miles an hour. You really got hit. That's us and our understanding. We put a governor on Jesus at five miles an hour. When we open up and say, Lord, I'm going to go if I understand, and Lord, I'm going to go if I don't understand, all of a sudden we've taken the five-mile-per-hour governor off of the BMW, and there is something. And the great people of faith all through the Old Testament were always called to do something they didn't understand how it could be accomplished. Nobody had a strategic plan that they understood and had God's input, but they worked out the strategic plan. Nobody. When Abraham was called out of Ur, what did God say? God didn't say, look, I've got this itinerary that goes through 300 miles that takes you to some wonderful lakefront property, and you can build houses for this many people, and within two generations you'll have this and be able... No. Abraham was called out of Ur, and God said, come out. He didn't say any more than that. And Abraham looked at God and said, I'm following God. Now, Jesus is trying to take us to the place that we are just like him on this earth. So, Eleanor, if he is going to take us to the place that we will do the things that he did and even greater things, we got to get there. How is it Jesus said that his followers would do what he did and even greater things? That means Skyland Church should be doing what Jesus did and even greater things. What's keeping us from going there? And this is a big one. We have to open up and say, Lord, I'll walk where I understand to walk, and please do that. Don't ignore your understanding in the Lord. Get us firm knowledge in Scripture, absolutely. But say, if I come to a place and I don't see how it's going to work out, but I know it's you for me to do it anyway, I'm going to do it even when I don't know how it's going to work out. And this happens a lot in giving. And Miguel, Pastor Miguel said that the common man would say, if you give the money away, you're losing it. You're an idiot. You don't get from giving away. God says you get from giving away. You cannot outgive God. You give it to God. He returns it, pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing. And many of you in here know this, and that's one of the things that's helped our church. A lot of people in here are really free givers, but I'll be frank with you. You've noticed God's blessed your life, and that as you give this out, things just seem to happen. That just, they just seem to happen to come together, and they do, and God does bless you. You can't outgive God. How, you can't do that. As a matter of fact, one of the times, if I ever get in a difficult place, one of the things I do is I say, 
Maybe this is a time for me just to take a whole lot of money and give it over to the Lord because I don't see that there's a troublesome thing in my life. And every once in a while I'll do that. It never fails. God always blesses that. But it is very important for us to live a life where we're not centered on anything and our understanding is superseding Jesus. And sometimes this is hard. It's definitely hard for me. I like things to be in control and have a plan. And to an extent, you always want to do that. Eleanor can't just say, I decided not to come to work Wednesday. You've got to come to work Wednesday. I'm not saying that. But there are things that happen in our life that distress us that are beyond our control. And the Lord wants us to be like Jesus on this earth. I used to skip verses in the Bible that were too aggressive. You know, like, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I would look at that and go, that's unrealistic. We're not going to read that one again. Jesus didn't say that was unrealistic. We can be perfect because the Holy Spirit dwells within us, and the Holy Spirit is perfect. And if we release to Jesus within us, we will do the things Jesus did. Now, I particularly like the fact that he healed all who came unto him. But, when, but what Jesus said in John 15 was, if you abide in me, and I abide in you, ask what you will, and it shall be done. But there is a necessity that we abide in him, and he's abiding in us. It isn't that we just figure out a formula. Everyone who's trying to figure out formulas is running on their own understanding to gain control. So if I can get the formula for healing, I saw a guy do it this way. First you bring them up, you get them to confess their sins, then you make them stand up, then you get them filled with the Holy Ghost, and then after that happens, you get the specific thing, and then you cast a demon out that is that specific problem, and if you'll do those three things, they're going to be healed. That is not the way that it works. When Jesus' life, a woman just touched his garment and was healed. He spoke a word and other people were healed. He laid hands on others so you could never have a formula. But we know that if we don't abide in him, none of that's going to happen. And if Jesus comes to us and says, unforgiveness is not abiding in me, and you putting your knowledge higher than me is not abiding in me, if we don't deal with those, we're not abiding with him and it holds us back. And Jesus can't do the impossible, wonderful things that he wants to do. So these are big deals. And I'll just throw another thing that God threw on me, and I'll be done, about knowledge, was he said, if you exalt your understanding higher than me, you are making your understanding an idol because it's higher than me. Well, I didn't like that. Lots of times God speaks to us and we don't like it. In Hebrews 11 it says, for those whom he loves, he disciplines. Well, I don't like discipline personally, but it's needed in my life and it's needed in our lives. Those whom God loves, he disciplines for our certain good, it says in Hebrews 11, excuse me, Hebrews 12. So the, the thing he hit me with is, you have made your understanding an idol. And you know, that just so happened to be the first thing that Satan did in the Garden of Eden. The first temptation that he said to Adam and Eve he said, what is it that God has said? And he said, we can eat of all the trees except for the tree in the middle. And he said, well, that's not really true. When you eat in the tree of, of the knowledge of good and evil, you will know as God knows. That was the first temptation because he knew that the created being desired to know as God knows. And so Satan has since that time tried to exalt knowledge 
as more important than God. And Satan said to Adam, instead of choosing to follow God, your creator, choose to have knowledge. And that was the first temptation that we ever had. Now God allowed Satan to come into the garden and allowed Satan to tempt man with that very temptation. Satan's not running around behind God's back because that is the worst temptation we're going to face. And he allowed us to have a fall so we could see we couldn't be close to him without depending on him. He knew that this would happen. And so he made way for that to be redeemed in Christ. So now when we look to the Lord, he can say, I'm going to give you all sorts of knowledge, but you're going to continue to know in part. But you can have me in full. No limit to the way you can have me. And when you have me, you're going to understand that I am the truth. And that truth is beyond what's written on a piece of paper and understood in man's sentences. And you're going to know me as the truth. And that's why it says in 1 Corinthians 1.30 that Jesus was made unto us wisdom. Jesus himself is wisdom. So when we say that the Lord is saying, trust me and get to know me, we're not abandoning truth and wisdom and knowledge. We're entering real truth and real wisdom and real knowledge which is beyond what can be written on a piece of paper. When I was young, I knew that any problem I had, it would be solved if I could get up in my mother's lap. It really just didn't matter. You just had to make it to mom's lap and then it would be okay. And mom didn't have special healing power, but she did to me. When I'd get up in mom's lap, it was better, no matter what. And her first words to me was, it's gonna be okay. You know, now, now, it's something very comforting, always. But we have an idea of understanding that's exalted from men's way of thinking, and God's way of thinking is higher, and he's trying to bring us there. So if someone says, well, the Christian faith is just not intellectually satisfying. Oh, it's more than intellectually satisfying. It takes you beyond the intellect of this world, where God said this world's wisdom is foolishness to him, to what is true knowledge, which is the nature of Christ. He is truth. He is the way. So these two things I think God's holding out to us as a church. And I think the, the pandemic brings it up a lot in lots of ways. First, let the Holy Spirit work, un, work forgiveness in our life. Sometimes we've got to forgive our parents. And I just want to be clear on this. We're forgiving people for things they did that were truly wrong. We're not saying they're right. They were wrong. We're forgiving our brother for bad things he did to us. We're forgiving people at work for cheating, lying, and stealing. We're forgiving people for things they did absolutely wrong, but we're forgiving them because Jesus forgave us. And instead of talking about them, we're praying for them and uplifting them. That's the first thing. And the second thing is... We're going to Jesus and saying, I'm following you if I understand, and I'm following you if I don't understand. You know, Miguel asked today and said, we have the some sell thing, and, um, you know, we need some money to help that go along. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, give to whoever asks. He didn't say skip. He says, whoever asks you, give. I would say 45 years in my life, I looked at that and said, that's just not realistic. 
And he's always slapping me on the face. He goes, why do you second guess what I've done? I'll give you a challenge. Anyone that asks, give. I'm not saying give your whole house, but give something to anybody that asks and just watch how the Lord blesses that. If Miguel gets up here and says, we need money for this, give him something. Give to him who asks. That's what Jesus said to do. And Jesus will bless it. Because if we follow him, he will make himself known within us. And in John 14 through 17, he spent over and over saying, it's so important, I abide in them and they abide in me. Father, the way that we abide together. And those were the last chapters that Jesus gave instructions to his disciples. And if there are any four chapters you need to know in the Bible, it's John 14 through 17. Because it's his instructions and his last words to the disciples. And he made it so clear that it was so important we dwell with him. But we're not going to dwell with him if we know to do something and we know we're not doing it and we don't change. Because that's sin and it separates us from him. So God's given us a great opportunity. I think our church is a rare place where this can really blossom. But it's important. Let's bow our heads. Jesus, you are the faithful one. We don't claim any good thing apart from you. As we grow to be more in your likeness, we ask that as the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, that we be malleable and give ourselves over and say, Lord, help me not to sin. Change me. I give you, Lord, rule over my life to change me. So as we see things in our life, Father, please encourage us. Change our wills that our will be like yours so that we be pleasing and that we might be lights to this world, that Jesus be glorified and you receive praise. Amen.